Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. So we want to make sure that the performance is there. A waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppSlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppSlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsliers.com. Everybody, we are Twig124. You've got myself, Joe Kim, aka Master Wu, Eric Press, Ekoff, <laughs> and Adam Telfer. Today, we're going to be covering three articles. First, from Star Wars to Marvel, licensed video games are becoming more ambitious. Here's why from the Washington Post. Second, App Lovin' S1, our take from the Masters of the Meta. And third, Roblox, Dawn of the Metaverse from Meritech. What's going on, everybody? How are you guys doing? We are on a new platform and having all kinds of technical <laughs> difficulties. This is like 15 start, and we've been talking, we've been restarting our talk about Eric's new whip. Should we do it one more time? I feel like I know sure. it better than him soon. <laughs> First of all, I, I have to admit, like the, our fundamental problem is Mishka and Finland, right? They, <laughs> clearly, the technology is not up to snuff in Finland, right? They have amazing developers, amazing successful companies, but the technology in Finland is just not up to par, right? Um, so he's, he, well, or or he's just a bad representative for Finland, which may be the case as just, well. Just can't afford good internet. Like, look at it. It's just completely blurry. I can't. <laughs> I, I, go, I went to the store and I was like, give me the best router. They showed me the Huawei's, Huawei's latest one. I was like, you know what? <laughs> I, I got That's nothing to hide. I got nothing to hide. <laughs> Just dude, spend the money, spend your spend your game refinery money, and and yeah. and wire up your house, dude. Let's do this. Um, all right. So I bought my second midlife crisis car. I, I have to admit, I already owned a Porsche before, and I don't know if anybody's gone through it, but basically, it is fundamentally this: 
you spend all your money, your time, your effort, your life dealing with these freaking kids. And when do I get something right? That's the midlife crisis car that you bought when when you go out and buy a Porsche like an idiot, right? This time I went out like an idiot and bought an M3, which is a more practical Porsche, I suppose, because it is a four door. But the car is gangster. Love it. You deserve and, it. Uh, my family fucking hates it. They absolutely hate it. Every single one of them are, are, thinks it's fucking terrible. It's too loud. It's too fast. It's too rough. But I love it, and that's all that matters. So second midlife crisis car. Thank you very much. What's going on nope. in Canada? There's no midlife crises here, so that's good. Now, you We're have good. babies. You're not, you, you haven't <laughs> suffered enough yet. Got you, a you nice have to Toyota. You have to say, I know you're buying the fucking minivan is what you're doing. You're preparing. <laughs> you're preparing for the hell, right? Wait until you get through the hell, then you're going to buy your Porsche. Well, and we'll see. All right. All right. Let's Next. roll into updates. So, first update for me is that we did have the clubhouse last last week on Friday, and I gotta say we got a lot of really great feedback. It seems like a lot of people really like that clubhouse event. So, definitely think we should do it again. It just coincidentally, I, we do have another clubhouse event booked for this Friday at 12 p.m. PST, same time, same place, but this time it'll be with. Joe Franks, uh, who is the CEO of GameFam, and Harry Monanum from Play Ventures. So make sure to check that out. The next week, Mishka, are we going to get you and uh, Eric Suford on for Clubhouse? Yeah, oh, that, that'd yeah. Be awesome. and, and so I, I go back to LinkedIn, and today some uh, Josh Liu from Blizzard actually uh, pinged me on a book club on Clubhouse, and I may or may not have said yes, and there was like a bunch of likes. So I I know nothing about Clubhouse, but I think. I'm going to co-host a games book club. I don't know what that is on Clubhouse, <laughs> but um, but you don't read. All, everything yeah. is on Josh Liu. So Josh arranges this, and if it goes south, it's his fault. If it's great, then you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like every month you just keep rereading Ready Player One and just keep rereading <laughs> it? Keep like re-reading the, only, it. the only video game book you've ever read? <laughs> the only book I've ever read. Actually, I haven't <laughs> even read that one, so... <laughs> Oh I don't God. know. I don't know anything about Clubhouse. This is this is JK's realm. So, um, wait, and not not yeah, even J- mine. I, I I barely do Clubhouse personally. But who's the guy that was on from? Uh, um, oh Jesus, who's the other guy that was on from LA? The Jam City. Uh, Jeremy Horn. Oh yeah, Jeremy. I want to apologize to Jeremy. I called him out for <laughs> for pushing his own book, but that was a really <laughs> fun Clubhouse. I actually really enjoyed it. I was driving my car in the. <laughs> Dude, I, I literally I got so many messages from people. They they really really liked it. So we had a ton of people on too. I thought it was going to be like ten people listening yeah. to us bullshit, but it was like I think it was like 50, 70, somewhere around there maybe. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Was, Did you get a number? I didn't get a number, but when I looked, yeah, yeah there were quite a few people. Yeah, it was so, good. Yeah, yeah. Wait, anyway. am I invited to these other ones, or am I now? Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I I'm mean, out. I don't. There's oh. nothing formal. I I don't even know. This other clubhouse for this Friday is is not it's not even like my clubhouse. It's just another clubhouse. But yeah, let's let's figure it out. And yeah. the problem though is is time zones, right? Yeah. Like Helsinki, Toronto, West Coast. Like it feels like everything currently on Clubhouse is optimized around the West Coast. So all of these like great talks are happening, and I'm like, I'm in bed. Sorry, guys. <laughs> this this clubhouse is happening at 10 p.m. on a Friday evening. Like I'm not middle aged, but I'm getting there, and this is like a middle aged zone. (laughs) All right, second (sighs) announcement: If anyone has not checked out Brett Novak's new podcast, Creators of Work, 
Really great content from Brett and his co-host Katie Kuffel. So I definitely think you guys should check it out. They've recently done a few podcasts with some folks from Zynga and really provides good insight into how different game companies work and operate and definitely think that you should check it out. I'll add a link in the show notes. Third update, Wall Street Journal is reporting that Xiaomi wins their court ruling halting U.S. investment ban. And I do know like some Chinese publishers who I uh, had an opportunity to speak with were nervous about investing in U.S. companies based on the environment last year. But I do think that based upon what seems to be happening with Xiaomi, maybe that would open stuff up. Uh, Not saying that I would necessarily count on it, but the ruling in favor of Xiaomi would make moves like uh, Chinese investment in the U.S. a bit more possible. Fourth update, Bant.com is reporting that Lego reached record sales and profits in 2020. So operating profits jumped 19% to $2.67 billion, and Lego reported that its growth was largely driven by sales in sets that blend physical bricks with digital Super Mario games. Last update from me is basically there was more detail on Krafton's $22.5 million investment into Nodwin Gaming, which is an Indian esports company. And so this article from the Esports Observer noted a few interesting points about the investment, which I wanted to cover. First is that there seemed to have been an emphasis from Nodwin's managing director and co-founder about accepting investment from a company that is aligned with India. So in particular, they're stating that because Korea is aligned with India and he was generally saying that the U.S. is aligned with with India, they could accept investment from, from companies that are from those countries. But other countries like China, they seem to be suggesting that, that they were a lot more nervous about accepting investment from Second, it appears that um, the part of the Krafton investment isn't just a play for esports in India, but they also noted that Nodwin does have expansion plans into Africa, the Middle East, and South Asia. Third point was that the way that Nodwin thinks about building franchise leagues in new territories is based upon a four-point system of one language to the game through a region and for a format. An example that they gave is Street Fighter in English for India, targeting 25 to 35-year-old affluent males that want to watch people playing games in a bar. Fourth point, the minimum target for Nodwin in terms of building out esports for them is mainly a simple heuristic of 1 million DAO. Uh, Fifth point, Nodwin pointed out that influencers are absolutely key to their growth, and they are going to be focused on building out their influencer and content creator ecosystem and in particular, tried to take some of the biggest PUBG mobile players in India who lost access to the game and shift them to other games. And finally, Nodwin's co-founder Akash Rathi talked about China's risk with respect to Valorant in India, and he stated, quote, I won't mince words. The game's done well. It's run very well through publishers. Riot has come to us, and we've had a very frank conversation about it. Until India solves its problems with China, it's very risky because Riot is 99.8% owned by Tencent, so there's no way of getting away from that, end quote. Mishka, you've got updates? But so so oh, hold on, ahead. hold on a minute. So this this investment is part of their pledge of $100 their million. Their $100 million pledge, that's right. Yeah, they're, so again, this is not like fundamental. This is like, they're trying to put this money to work in India so that they can get back into India's good graces, right? That's right. So it's like, yeah, okay, I just want to be clear on this. There's there's different reasons for this investment, not that 
this node when gaming is is worth whatever they're paying for it necessarily. Uh, anyway, all right. Um, to my updates, first of all, shout out to Eric and and JK and Chris. The uh, the game game biz episode you guys did was really good. Uh, it took me a while before going to listen to it. I can't listen to Eric for many hours a week, so I was kind of savoring it. And yesterday evening, I was walking the dog, and I'm like, "This is great." How dare you? <laughs> this is great. He mellows you down so much, and you're like intros- introspective during it. You're like, "Huh?" And then you still use a blunt object and just smash it. So it was really good. It was. It's a really good series. Yeah, the chemistry between uh, Chris and Eric is, uh, is is fantastic. So if you guys haven't listened to it, um, check it out. Uh, it's a whole different Eric, I do have to say. <laughs> um, then, then a couple of updates. So he completes me. Hour, he completes me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's a, it's it's by different. I don't mean like one is bad, one is good. It's just it's different. It's awesome. So uh, second part, um, little. Um, so from Sensor Tower, so they are calling all game publishers and developers. Uh, Deconstructor of Fun is partnering with them to conduct a, a first ever state of mobile gaming industry survey. And this is an opportunity to, to participate in it and secure a free copy of their full report upon release. So this uh, survey takes you less than a minute. Go to Sensor, not minute, less than five minutes. Go to Sensor Tower, go to blog, take the survey. And we'll report on it in this podcast. Should be interesting. They're going to gather a lot of the data and and do their their uh, the results. And now I feel pressured because in every update I have to bring Finland somehow. So I found actually a pretty interesting news. <laughs> um, all right, in this one, <clears throat> so news from Finland: Metacore, not Manticore. Meta Metacore. It's a Supercell portfolio company. They raised seventeen point six million dollars from Supercell back in September. And they are now fourth in the booming merge genre. They're currently neck, neck on neck with Zynga's Merge Magic with half of the installs that Merge Magic is taking uh, in, in a month. So I want to give two shout outs. One is for Supercell because we've been, <clears throat> we've been giving them a lot of shit about their M&A. But, um, but this one looks like a winner. And uh, of course, I have to give a shout out to the growth lead for Metacore, my ex-colleague Tapio. Tomola, who left Rovio to join the team and, and seems like that was uh, a good decision. Now, the only question, which I don't know if it if it's a relevant question, is like <clears throat> if Metacore would be um, a VC-funded company, they would be a pretty great acquisition target in the market. Again, I don't know how this works with Supercell now that they own the majority of it and we have a booming merge game, like everybody's picking up merge games. But um, I'm sure they have some kind of system. And I know guys from Supercell and gals are listening to this. So if you want to come on, on the show and explain how this M&A model works and what's the upside for the, for, uh, for the, uh, for the founders, I'd be glad to hear. And I'm, I'm sure a lot, of, a lot of other people would be glad to hear about it too. So those are my updates. All right. Do you own stock in this one? I mean, I have to ask now because every single one, you're, you have some angle. Do you own no. stock? Does your wife own stock? Does your brother <laughs> Your cousin? No, 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 I have no stock in this. Unbelievable! I, I, Unbelievable! I, I, I like I like Tapio a lot. He's their growth lead, and and um, I haven't even played the game to be honest. It's still downloaded. I don't. I'm not a fan of merge games. I I don't know if you guys play them. I doubt it, but um, definitely uh, we'll we'll give it a go. It seems like it's doing really well. No spikes though, so they're not running events unlike Merge Magic. So interesting. All right, I gotta look at this game now. Um, holy moly. 
Oh, but it's still really tiny. <sighs> yeah, okay. but look at the downloads compared cool. to that. Merge Magic, cool. So. It's doing good. All right. All right. Uh, news. Uh, basically, the first news story is uh, from Star Wars to Marvel. Licensed video games are becoming more ambitious, and here is why. Uh, I thought this was a reasonably good article. I think they kind of buried the lead to some degree, but uh, but we'll get into it. All right. So basically, he's starting to talk about these new announcements from Ubisoft uh, and Massive uh, that are building kind of a division clone in the in the uh, Star Wars universe. And then the Bethesda was signed up to do an Indiana Jones game. Um, and basically saying that for many, many years, there was all smaller mid-tier studios were really kind of building in these movie, building these movie tie-in games with uh, little care for quality, which is somewhat true, but I think there's more to it, frankly. But anyway, but what we're what he's what they say is that they're seeing more games like Spider-Man from from Sony, uh, EA's Battlefront, Jedi Fallen Order, et cetera, for the Star Wars universe. Uh, and now we have Ubisoft uh, with their division game and Bethesda signing up for the Indiana Jones game. So it's a good sign for the future of licensed games is kind of their point. Um, and then he talks about the 1990s and the 2000s where licensed games were crap, which is totally true. Uh, things like The Matrix, which actually sold very well, but the man, was that was a terrible game. Um, until we actually saw Batman from Ark, uh, Batman, sorry, Batman Arkham from Rocksteady, which was an absolute amazing game. And so I think the real exception to this rule is, is what has been accomplished by Warner. And I'm not just that saying that to be because I'm biased, but they actually have done an exceptional job. And then they go on and talk about how on the flip side, we're actually seeing games in, in, in TV shows, which I think is just a one exception to the rule. Now we're going to see Assassin's Creed coming out soon. But uh, they're talking about the the Witcher series uh, based upon um, the Witcher from my favorite publisher, uh, developer, I mean, CD Projekt. Uh, that was a real success. But I think that's the only real success that I can think of. Um, but anyway, so they had... So basically, I think the whole point of the article is that we are seeing more licensed games and more bigger projects in the licensed game category uh, coming out. And this is starting with all the Star Wars stuff from EA, but now we're seeing Ubisoft and, and Bethesda getting involved. And I think what's interesting here is because IP is of, on the mind for me, you know, working with uh, Warner. Um, but I, I, I think there's a, this is a function of two things in my mind, really, is that there was a strategic shift amongst the, the licensors from doing their internal development to licensing. Right. Particularly Disney, obviously, is the biggest example and Lucas. Right. So they've been trying to do their own development for decades with very, very little success. Um, and the only real success there, again, is Warner with what they've accomplished over the years. Um, and then we're also I think there's a dynamic in this market uh, as it matures, particularly with the console and PC, is that we are seeing IPs dominate certain genres. So Call of Duty is dominating shooter, Battlefield, et cetera. Uh, action adventures, assassins, and, and GTA um, sports is obviously dominated by sports, you know, EA. So I think, in some sense, publishers like Square and Ubisoft and and even even EA are looking for IPs to help them build competitive games in a relatively well-established uh, genre-defining games. So, and and again, I think for me, it's really exciting to see how these real developers are going to build games with these iconic IPs. And frankly, I'm glad that Disney and Marvel and Fox and MGM and every other like 
movie TV slash studio are, are not making games anymore, right? So that they 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 will ultimately make higher quality games, you know, like uh like the like the Star Wars games from EA as well as Spider Man. Um, and I think you know, and it's like kind of an evolution of the industry in general, like and trying to get to more of a mass market you know, appeal using these licenses to build up the audiences is also another part of this strategy. Um, but again, there's always risks with using IPs because there's limitations set by the license holders and how you use the IP consumers expectations are set based upon the license. And, you know, I think Spider-Man is actually one of the better examples of a more flexible IP in which you're using different metaverses to build out different types of Spider-Mans, which you know, is shows more flexibility with that IP. Unlike like something like Harry Potter, which is very, very strict in terms of um, how you control, you know, how you use the characters and the narratives, et cetera. So I guess the other point of this, and this is get, getting a little boring, but the point is that with IDFA, we actually may see a lot more of this activity on, on mobile. So this is kind of what my prediction is, is that uh, we don't see many licensed products in the top 20. We barely see any, maybe, maybe two or three, you know, things like uh, Marvel contest of champions, Marvel strike force, et cetera. So perhaps we actually see a little bit more activity out there to try to build out the broader audience to, to, you know, leverage licenses um, and, and take away some of the share from like the new, the IPs that have been created like clash of clans, angry birds, et cetera. So anyway, it was just an interesting article about, the, the movement moves of lightness licenses, I think we probably will see a lot more activity going forward on the licensing side um, um, as this, these industries mature. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I have to agree. And there was just a recent news on FunPlus uh, partnering up with their latest Forex game, State of Survival. They partnered with AMC to bring in The Walking Dead to it. So that will be interesting to see how well that works, given that State of Survival is a zombie game, but now they get even a bigger IP. And I don't remember how much State of Survival was making, but it was raking in hundreds of millions a year. And it's been really on the oh, growth. Yeah, that thing is, so, yeah. yeah, really interesting to see. It's an update to their Forex engine. That's interesting. It's... Yeah. Oh, I didn't even see that. So this is on top of the existing game or is this a new yeah. game? Yeah, so State of Survival has been growing throughout the whole last year. And they, they've made an update to their engine, but also compared to other Forex games, they added... Well, some of the games had it, but they added a pretty significant RPG component to it uh, where you save a dog and it's basically, yeah, well, anyway, RPG component to the game. And that it has been growing tremendously month after month the whole last year. It was one of the biggest growing, if not the biggest growing Forex game the whole last year. And now they have an IP on top of it. So if we can kind of, you know, correlate how well an IP in a Forex game works, it depends. Terminator was horrible for Plarium. But uh, Game of Thrones for, for Warner Brothers was fantastic. Uh, so I think this, this one seems like, a, I mean, how, what kind of a better fit you have than a, an existing zombie game that is already making a ton of money, but now having actually a Walking Dead IP on top of it. And, you know, it's, it's two kind uh, of things. Like, com- it, oh, no, I was just saying that what you get with an IP is that oh. you're going to see the audience much more clear. So you can target better in a post-IDFA. That increases significantly your IPM as well, as well as your App Store optimization by having that IP. So I think it's a, I think it's a win uh, for, for FunPlus. Go ahead, Joe. Oh, yeah. All right. I guess it's, hap- it's happening on the 1st of April, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like kind of a, a limited – that's interesting. So maybe this is – 
this is really smart to try to uh, to circumvent the IDFA issues. They're going to leverage this the Walking Dead IP during this yeah. fucking Apple Ragnarok. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the one, okay. one thing to note is that I think what we'll probably also see is a lot more mispricings with respect to IP because, you know, in a IDFA deprecation world, you are going to have much poor ability to attribute the impact of IP. And so you're going to have mispriced IPs. In other words, I think this is generally good for IP holders. But, but do you, oh, do so you, you think, think people will overpay or over? Yeah, you know, over ask. I think people but, are going to overpay. Well, let me just say this. Uh, so with the, uh, with the whole lockdowns, the entertainment industry has really been suffering. So I think they need the avenues for games and as well as there's a lot of streaming platforms that have their unique shows and we've seen netflix hiring people for for their gaming side i'm I'm sure other streaming platforms are doing the same thing at some point so i think there's going to be a a surplus of supply that may lower the price for for the ips of course not for the for the top ones but i think this is hitting pretty close to home for me so I'm going to say, I have no opinion here. I'm not involved here. This is all their opinions. Yeah. All right. Okay. We, can, we can move on. But to your point about, you know, second, third tier IPs and being able to actually measure the, the impact of that to UA, it's it's going to be hard. So, you know, good, good for them. Get, get that would, money. But would it, be, would it be, you just make a deal of like a, a certain amount of cut and a minimum guarantee? Is that the case? But it's it's kind of like it would be hard to measure like what was the effect of the IP, except with Fun Plus because they already had that game and it was already doing great. So they will actually see how an IP will affect it. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, yeah, I think the deal structure doesn't change, but I do think that the amount and rev share is going to be generally good for IP holders. But what we'll see. Can I not get fired today? Can we move on? Okay. Let's move All on. Right. <laughs> Who's next? Thanks. We appreciate it. Thanks. Okay. Let's talk, about, uh, let's talk about App Lovins S1. So this is an article from Master the Meta. Really great net newsletter. Um, everybody should subscribe to it. So anyway. Um, so wait, wait, hold on. Before you continue. Yeah. Wait, wait, Go wait. On. Before you continue. Mm-hmm. Do you own stock in this company? No. Do you have any affiliation with this company? Uh, with Master the Meta? No, but no, we have with certain Apple individuals Lovin. from there. But anyway. They are, aren't, are, are they not sponsors of the podcast? Mm-mm. No. No? no? Oh, I thought they were. No. <laughs> All right. So you have no affiliation with this company before we continue. Just, I'm There's just asking. no affiliation with Master the all Meta right. at all. At all. Uh, they are part of, of the Slack no, channel. App Lovin'. Oh, oh app loving. Well, no, app loving. I wish. Anyways, so app loving, no affiliation. Okay. Uh, founded All in right. 2011, app loving's mission is to grow the mobile app ecosystem by enabling the success of mobile developers. In other words, they position themselves as clearly, clearly as not a gaming company. And what they do is they provide core technologies and software that drive both app growth and revenues for its business customers through six steps process anyway app so the six-step process is this app graph collects ad interaction data across all apps working with app loving step two axon uses the data on its ml algorithm to match app users to relevant ad content 
Step three, App Discovery curates that ad content by matching advertisers' demand with publisher supply. Step four, Max powers those matches by running real-time competitive auctions for in-app ad slots. Step five, Compass analyzes those auctions to deliver ROI insights through an analytics tool. And step six, mobile developers are enabled by the above technologies and insights to not only drive more installs to their apps, but also continuously optimize the ad revenue generated per new install acquired and therefore drive towards a positive ROI equation. Anyways, I think the uh, the beef of this is I'm that... So oh, I'm so tired. I'm so sleepy. <laughs> beef of this my, my, my brain, <laughs> my brain just shut down. It just shut down. Yes. I don't know. Yes. I have to yes. jumpstart it. Let me get some more hey, coffee. Anything Hold on a related. Anyway. I'll be right let's back. Talk about, let's talk, I'll let's be right talk back. Oh, d- all right. I'll be right back. <laughs> all right. M- so the, the interesting beef about this is that the MTM analogous, there might be a conflict of interest in AppLovin's flywheel, but I don't think they really addressed it. They complemented on the business model and they sort of made a point that because the revenues are 50-50 between the business revenue and business revenue is something that is generated from advertisers spending on software and apps, as well as consumers revenue, which is generated through in-app purchases made by users on AppLovin apps. And because that's sort of a 50-50, everything is fair and great. And the article goes deeper into giving AppLovin all the credit, but in kind of, in my opinion, misses, I think, two pretty important points. So number one is something that that Eric uh, Sufert has been talking about in MDM, and we did a podcast about this as well, is called Content Fortress. So in a way, AppLovin is almost a perfect content for- fortress because the Content Fortress is... Um, explained as a collection of first-party and potentially second-party content that is supported by by owned ad tech infrastructure such that reliance on external sources of new users or data is minimized. Now, we know that AppLovin acquired Adjust, an attribution platform, some time ago, a couple of months ago, and it's clear that they are building a self, or they actually have built a self-sufficient advertising ecosystem to connect its first-party properties. So, in order to have a successful content fortress, you have to have a very good portfolio management, which means that you have to be moving players from low monetizing entry points, uh, apps, to better monetizing games. And we've seen that happen already in AppLovin's portfolio where they have bought PeopleFund, which is one of the top word game makers, as well as several puzzle companies like Firecraft Studio, that is actually not Firecraft Studio, it's, it's Magic Tavern. Uh, Belka and so forth, where they're moving the, the the players to from from entry points to a better monetizing um, apps. We know that they have an operational ad tech because they fully own ad network, and we know that they have a what what Eric calls a command account economy, which is a strong central management that makes calls for the company needs purely without much politics. And and we've you know we've talked good things about Applevin's. Uh, great leadership, and they are very focused on the business side versus competing whose division makes what. So the way I see it is AppLovin has built a content fortress that generates first-party data that can legitimately be used for advertising and thus has set powerful protection against ATT and built a foundation for further growth as studios will start to falter around it, studios that are not prepared for IDFA deprecation. And so that's one point, the content fortress uh, of, the, of the business model. But the second point is AppLovin has not always acted in a very transparent way. And 
in 2018, they started publishing their own game called Matchington Mansion from Firecraft Studio. And um, in the MTM article, they made a case that, that the move to internal development was no brainer. But the fact is that we know that this move was a little bit of a shady one. There was no Firecraft Studio. Um, it, it was a studio called Magic Tavern that is still there, based out of Beijing, that made this game. In fact, Firecraft Studio was placed in an address that was a coffee house in San Mateo. Um, and the game was very, very much inspired by Homescapes, which uh, is a Playrix game. And Playrix is Applovin's company, uh, client company. And when you look at the App Store optimization and the creatives, I mean, I don't know who copied who. I think both did the same thing. But but there was a pretty significant war that actually hurt Glue back in the day when Glue was saying they can't scale their games because of this madness that is happening between Playrix and, and uh, Firecraft Studios or AppLovin. So I think, you know, they, they are purchasing companies to, that are known to, to drive great traffic. And um, I wouldn't be so quick to say that, that um, I wouldn't be so quick to say that there's no conflict of interest. And this is something that you guys touched upon in the game biz episode where Chris was saying that some companies are, you know, initially wanted not to share data with AppLovin that was seen, not, that went from, um, from an ad network to an actual competitor, but they just didn't have a choice. Uh, they gave them good traffic and they had to grow and they just decided, you know what, let's just ride with them. Like we can't do anything about it and kind of, you know, bow down to it. So I think this is, uh, this is definitely something to, to discuss. And um, I know you guys hate talking about ad network. So that's why I have Eric Suford. I'm going to actually talk about this with him, the, uh, the S1 for AppLovin and, and how does their content fortress um, rank up in his opinion. So, you know, but to close it up, I think AppLovin is, is, you know, a gangster, both in a good and a bad way. Uh, I think they're, they're just a powerful company. Uh, I think they have an excellent leadership and they have the backing of one of the biggest private equities in the world. And if we're just not talking about game developers, we're just talking about companies. I think this is, this is one, of the, um, one of the top companies, if not, one of, if not the top companies on mobile in the next three to, to, to five years, I think. I think they're they're going to be, yeah. There's a, there's a there's a case to be made that they were going to be the biggest one. So what they're doing is great for business, but I understand that that it's it's not you know kosher on, on all levels necessarily. So, what are your opinions? Other than you hate this topic. Well, for, first thing is I'm I, I doubt I'll be covering this company, but uh, <laughs> I've heard nothing but amazing things about the management team. Like they are gangster, right? I don't think they will hit the type of valuations that we saw from Roblox and uh, Epic and, and Unity. But uh, yeah, but the team is amazing. Um, and I think they will likely be the team that figures out how to you know, circumvent Apple's like hostile policy against the publishers. And this will create scrutiny from both Apple and, uh, and, and, and create, probably potentially create some drama for the company. You know, if they go public, again, I just want to reiterate this. When you go public, there's a lot more scrutiny on your business, right? From a legal perspective, from a shareholder value, shareholder perspective. So when you consider people gangster, you know, management teams gangster and doing what they did, I think, to their partner, Playrix, um, that's considered a big risk 
to big investors, which make markets in these stocks, right? So, so that that does create a little bit more risk for these companies that that have gangster practices, I suppose. So, that is also another longer term risk for for a company like this. Um, you know, similar to Skills and other companies that have gone SPAC uh, that have not gone the traditional route. Hmm. So anyway, we'll see. Um, I don't know as much about this company as you guys do. So uh, I'd I love to it, hear what Seifert thinks. Yeah, I find it interesting that, you know, at, at some point, Apple Oven and Iron Source were kind of neck and neck in terms of, um, you know, in terms of size and, and as well as, but their approach differed significantly. And the way that Uploving went about of doing the vertical integration, kind of testing the waters in a, in a very, very shady way. Like I remember we were at the GDC in 2018 and the guys were talking about the biggest game of the year and they were talking, they were making all this big case of why a matching dimension is such a big game, like going through all the features and so forth and so forth. And in fact, there wasn't really much different to Homescapes. It, and it, it was really on the marketing side where they won. So I, I don't know. The, the way they went about it is is just, um, yeah, as, as Eric said, it's 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 a little bit gangster. And um, But I, I do have to kind of say that because game industry didn't do anything about it, like nobody pulled out from AppLovin's network. People were kind of like, well, this is shady, but, you know, I guess we'll take it. And things continue. Yeah, so some people pulled out. Some 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 did. But did they go uh, back? Playrex wanted back in later, but yeah, exactly. This they, is what I mean. They weren't allowed back. Yeah, so this is this is what I mean. Is I remember when when Playrex pulled out and they were kind of like, well, you know, it is what it is, and they wanted back in. So there was this kind of a this kind of a thing going on because the hypothesis would have been that if people would have found out, that's why Apple Apple Oven was a little bit um, shady around this. The hypothesis was that if developers would have found out they would have all pulled out of Apple Oven and they would have been alone there. But that didn't happen. So they were kind of like, you know what? It is what it is. Those discussions happened. <laughs> those discussions, I know those discussions happened, but there was no action. Yeah. So if people want to know more about this, we we did release uh, you know, a, a pod about this, um, Ad Networks plus Studio, you know, vertical integration. I, I think that goes into more depth about it. But yeah, you know, it is what it is. Maybe we should <laughs> move on. This week is a minefield. Wow. <laughs> Turn some articles. Okay, so the last article of the day, let's go to Roblox. So this article um, called Roblox Dawn of the Metaverse. And I think if you haven't heard of Metaverse, um, you must be living under a rock because it's <laughs> the buzzword of the last few years. Absolutely. And look, I have a personal big pet peeve with buzzwords in general. Um, I think Metaverse and uh, Flywheel are my current pet peeves. Um, <laughs> oh, dude! Wait, whoa! How did you get? How did you get triggered by Flywheel? I'm in the same boat. Did we oh, talk about good. this? Yeah, we did. Oh my! We did. Okay, okay, dude. Like that is my new. I never even heard the expression. It was used in a conference call, and I and I I, I almost lost my fucking mind. Right? I, 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 dude, <laughs> triggered. We'll have to go through this next time. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. We can we can bond over pet peeves over buzzwords. So, anyways, okay. Metaverse, the word everyone must use in their pitch deck in order to drive the highest possible valuations, right? Um, because literally everyone's building a metaverse, right? The big question, of course, is who's going to own it? What's it going to look like? Um, and I think this is actually a great article to read because I think it puts sense behind the craze and actually puts a, a much better definition behind the word. 
Um, the, the way that I'll describe it, metaverse is, is being seen as the next frontier for technology spaces. So like YouTube, like social media platforms, it is believed to be where the next tech king will be crowned, like YouTube or like Facebook or like Twitch were for previous frontiers. The signal, right, for a metaverse is SciWorld, Sci World, have a hotel, Second Life, IMVU, MMOs like World of Warcraft, Fortnite, and of course, Roblox. Digital spaces where players have a personal avatar where they actively hang out and in extreme and in extreme cases end up investing more of their time and resources into it than normal life. So a metaverse in summary is a digital identity, a social hangout with activities, rich self-expression and value associated with your actions, namely a game economy that turns into a virtual hangout space. So if we can change metaverse into virtual hangout space, I'll be happier. Um, so Meritech, the, the author, hopefully I said the name right, um, spoke about their journey uh, with Roblox, with how they invested in them, how they tried to acquire them over uh, early on, and then eventually was able to lead a round in 2015 after about nine years of their growth, which is really when the early signals were that Roblox was going to take off. Uh, and even at that time, they only had about 53 million in bookings that year. Um, but already they were on an accelerated curve, right? Everybody could see that hockey stick. And how they saw past that, you know, poor retention at that time and the concerns about like, like a limited uh, uh, total addressable market for the game, right, was that they really looked at it in the context of network effects, which is a synonym for flywheel, right, where more games are created, which creates more users, which demand more and better games, which creates more links between players playing those games, right? So it becomes this network effect where better games breed better players and that loop drives growth. Um, that's great. And I think this article then articulates why they think Roblox is in the position where it will be the metaverse. And I think number one, they have a network scale already, which makes sense, especially for the right demographics, um, but notably also Fortnite, I would argue. Number two, they're building towards this before it was cool. They have 20 years of infrastructure construction on the novelty of the service in UGC. And I think last, they have obvious feature set gaps currently, which could be quickly filled in order to shift towards a proper metaverse. So they've been adding higher and higher fidelity improvements, right, allowing them to grow in key demographics. And the numbers that spoken about in this article, age groups 13 and above are now their fastest uh, growing rate and as well 17 plus is their fast, fastest growth rate in terms of audience size. They're starting to capture a wider and wider audience. Great. Concerts are being added in December and obviously fidelity gaps are being closed and as well talk about things like video being an ad like co-watching can be added easily. Great. Um, my take, I think Roblox and Fortnite are both poised to take on um, the metaverse for Gen Z in the West. Absolutely. I don't think any other service is so focused on Gen Z. And I believe that it's that gen which will latch onto a service like this, not millennials. Right. And I think their moats are just massive and growing. Uh, Roblox has UGC, uh, UGC. Epic has a very, very strong development resources and likely can actually latch onto any strong gameplay that comes out. So anything cool comes out, let's say Among Us, right? 
these guys can both copy that gameplay novelty and bring it over to their metaverse. Exactly what we saw with uh, the spy within within Fortnite. Any UGC platform, of course, will take five years plus to reach the scale that they're talking about now, right? That flywheel or network effect, right, is actually working against any new competitor. So I think really the only chance is that there's a Gen Z focused game that pop up that pops up in popularity, which seems to happen, you know, once a year among us, Ballheim. But these lottery winners actually would have the resources like Epic or like Roblox to actually transfer that growth into a live service and then transfer from a live service to drive a metaverse. That's incredibly difficult and not a lot of developers can do that as well as win the lottery to get that initial growth. Not among us, not Valheim and not Apex Legends, right? So I, I will caveat all this because it's Gen Z in the West. Because I think Gen Alpha and beyond, the dominant metaverse will likely change. Because I think I see this kind of like social networks, right? Even at that scale, each generation is going to go after and cling on to different features and different experiences and will want a social space that feels like their own, not a previous generation's. Why Instagram is a thing and why things like, you know, Facebook was massive, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they can just stay Facebook, right? Gen Z hung out on Roblox and Minecraft, not World of Warcraft. And why TikTok, well, Snap are a thing. Even with these impenetrable decades-long services, there will always be new generations of kids looking for new uh, services, new places to hang out. Uh, Eric, mm. you got a take? All right. Well, I'm gonna. First of all, I'm going to call bullshit on uh, the 17 plus as the fastest growing group within Roblox. I've heard from a couple sources now, and this makes total sense because my understanding was that once they turn 14, 15, they are out out they never come back right because the content's not there for them right so, so, so what i heard in mind in terms of the metric there could be some bias there right no you could I say the, like the like the total volume of 17 plus right that growth has been growing so even though yes in terms of retention people are dropping off steeply from those age groups to 17 the total volume of 17 plus probably is growing like growth growth metric here is probably just a stat i don't know if that's really no, no, no. And I, look, I, they can't lie on these things. So I'm not suggesting that they're lying, but I'm suggesting that the players, what I heard from a couple of people was that players are putting in their profile that they're 17 plus in order to access certain features within Roblox and less, less, uh, I think, filtering of language or whatever, more freedom to use chat. I don't even know exactly. And so that could be skewing the numbers in their favor. Right. And so I think that's far more likely than obviously them trying to cook, you know, cook the numbers. But um, but nonetheless, the, the the anecdotal and the information I had before they went public was that they lose all their players at age 16. I don't think the content's changed that dramatically in the last year or so. So that's the first thing I will say, um, which I think in some ways gives the opportunity to Epic or Manticore, whoever kind of builds this thing out to attract that age group with better content and higher fidelity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but anyway, first of all, like Greg, Craig Sherman, I've never heard of him before, but he seems like a really smart dude. He made a shit ton of money because he was an angel investor in Roblox, right? And a board member. So <laughs> again, article bias, right? This is like what we have to deal with every freaking week with Mishka, you know? So, um, so anyway, so I think uh, like Craig seems like a really smart guy, and but he's, he's reporting on his own book. Um, let's see. 
I think we can all agree that Roblox is a bit primitive, you know, in terms of graphical fidelity and even gameplay. Um, but, you know, they have this absolutely massive moat with this audience and they're going to be around for, for forever and ever and ever. Um, and, and I think they've also kind of like set the stage or set the expectations for what the metaverse will be, right? It's not, it, it, you know, it's not Ready Player One. It's not the Matrix, right? It is a collection of games that are built by the community that build social experiences, all the things they said in the article, which I think were, was really good. Um, so anyway, they were the first mover. I think this does create an opportunity for Epic on the higher end. Um, and then if you look at what Facebook's doing, like there's so much press around. I'm actually talking to, uh, oh my God, I was blank on his name, but I'm talking to the, the head of development for Facebook this week. But, um, you know, they're making huge investments and they are trying to build that metaverse with AR and VR, right? Like, like we imagine it to be, I think, um, from, from, you know, like sci-fi stuff. And so in the next 10 to 20 years, you know, when we're old men, right? Or I'm already old, so I guess older, um, we could be watching exactly what we want, right? Jacking into the matrix, you know, with a 3D, you know, VR uh, device. Cause dude, Facebook and those guys are just investing, right? They're not, they're, it's like reckless abandon over there to make this thing happen because I think it's just more of a, a strategy for them to own, own the platform as well as uh, the social uh, fabric, I suppose. So anyway, I think we're just at the beginning of this stuff. I think Roblox is an early mover. I think they are an amazing company. Um, but I think there's a lot of opportunities for others to to make a play here. But it is not going to be these small little rinky-dink among us, Valheim or even Apex Legends. But, but you feel yeah. like there 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 would be a new company that would take on and be no. able to lop off Roblox and Fortnite. No, I, 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 I so think like, that's so. Very... What part? So what part of the metaverse could a new entrant actually help out with? If they don't own the metaverse, if you're saying Roblox and Fortnite own the metaverse, is what is a new company then doing? No, I don't suggest. No, I don't know. I'm not saying that. I'm saying Facebook could own their own metaverse in in a VR AR world, right? That's possible. Yeah, I guess. Uh, but then, like you, you saw the video of them live streaming a VR world around the world, right? Like, I feel like that gets into Microsoft product territory, where you're getting into this <laughs> like super corporate metaverse thing, right? When I don't think I don't think they have. I, I would almost rather say Fortnite builds the infrastructure around building VR worlds, and then white boxes it, gives it to a crazy indie studio, right? And that that studio builds kind of the building blocks of that that town, and then other people build a UGC metaverse around it, right? I so <clears throat> Facebook still gets the benefits of that, but at the end of the day, I just don't see uh, a generation clinging on to Facebook as the, the platform. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think the problem, guys, is that no, nobody knows what they're talking about when it comes to metaverse, right? There's like, like there's where we are today, there's Ready Player One, and then anything between like live events and Fortnite or Roblox to the Ready Player One vision, everyone's got all sorts of crazy ideas, everything in between, and everyone's calling that whole mess of stuff a metaverse, with, and everyone's got a different idea of what it is. The problem mm -hmm. is that between that gap between today and Ready Player One, all that stuff in between is, I think, hard to monetize. And I just think that that's the big issue with Roblox right now is that part of their valuation is based upon this fuzzy smoke and mirrors. You know, what is it going to be? Nobody knows. And honestly, like the, 
the closest thing to the metaverse right now is the thing that no one is talking about, and it's basically GTA Five No Pixel. That's that's the closest thing to the metaverse. But GTA Five No Pixel. What do you mean by that? Do you mean GTA Online? There's basically like these private mod servers. Like this yeah. is where just just do a search on that on YouTube. You'll you'll see what I'm talking about. But okay, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, because I know honestly, I know there's, there, there's environments in GTA Online for role playing, which I'm assuming is what you're talking. Yeah, about. it's an RP server. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. So like, but the frictions towards doing that right now are quite high. So uh, there yeah, would yeah. Be well, some I guess my, of... my point is, if you want to call like live events in Roblox or Fortnite <laughs> the metaverse, sure, great. But I think it's one, yeah, I, I think it's one piece, right? Like if Fortnite offered a mode which was strictly for role-playing, right? And killed a lot of that friction of going into GTA V and building out those types of servers, right? They could capture a lot of that audience, right? Yeah. Reduce that friction, give, give people all the tools they need because obviously GTA wasn't built for that. It wasn't built for role-playing because I don't, I don't think Take-Two cares about um, those, that engagement. Versus Fortnite, yeah, now all of a sudden they have a vested interest in it because now people are showcasing their cosmetics, showcasing their progression um, using Fortnite. So I think yeah. Epic's actually pretty well poised. Same thing with Roblox. Yeah, I, I guess my point is more that this in-between phase that we're talking about, everyone has all sorts of crazy ideas. Yeah, There's no fixed vision and it's going to be hard to monetize. So for me personally, I'm short metaverse. I'm actually more bullish on even cloud gaming or uh, NFTs. Oh, come yeah. on. Blockchain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm, cloud I'm, gaming. Don't I'm, say I'm it. Longer. Don't say it. Cloud gaming is more <laughs> practical, realistic, and shorter term than metaverse, in my opinion. Oh, that's like, that's idiotic, dude. Come on. It is not. Give me a break. Yeah, yeah. Don't tell me who's going to I believe who's gonna in the, I, I uh, Who's going to monetize the metaverse? At what point? JK, I'm, I'm with you on this. This is... Like I believe in cloud gaming as well okay. more than in the metaverse. This is this is insanity. Like I talked a little bit about ad go tech back to Rovio I, and run Hatch. There you go. <laughs> go back to Rovio and run Hatch. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Oh yeah, I, I bet there's some assets there you could pick up from uh, Rovio with Hatch, dude. Moron. No way, dude. <laughs> cloud gaming could we be are... five to ten years. Metaverse, we're talking like. You know, dude, Roblox yeah. is minting like, money right now. They're like a fifty billion dollar valuation. Yeah, like, they're they're minting so... money, but not on the metaverse, dude. The metaverse right now is smoke and mirrors. But, it's but like we can do any of this crap out here. But it, it, again, what it is it? I don't know what's this crap of, out here. <laughs> it depends on your definition of metaverse. If, if That's the metaverse the is, is just no a definition. digital hangout, no, if the definition is. A digital yeah, hangout. if you can call Roblox metaverse whatever the fuck you want, then sure, yeah, it'll work. Right now. Some random yeah, shit will dude, work, yeah. <laughs> Joseph, come on. You sounded like me, dude. What's wrong with you? Um, anyway, well, I this think is a this good article... Episode. This got a lot yeah, of let's, let, let's end it. This article was actually really good. I thought it described <laughs> it very well. And we are at the early stages of the metaverse. I will agree with you on that. But there is success out there with user-generated content, 3D avatars of representations of yourself, Going out there and being social, like I think those are the kind of the big things about the metaverse that are that are being uh, executed on now. And we've seen it in World of Warcraft. We've seen it in GTA. We see it all these pieces of what I think will be the metaverse going forward. And and this is just another execution of that. So I think sure, yeah. If you redefine the metaverse as an MMO or UGC, sure, yeah, we've got no. it. I do. Yeah, I do. I, MMO I is a metaverse. Yeah. It's I, I it any digital hangout space, which would include World of Warcraft, which would include Roblox, which would include Second Life, all those games. 
fucking EverQuest, right. dude. You know how many hours I spent on EverQuest? That's not a metaverse. I don't know what is. Yeah. Anyway, okay, then it's already here. The metaverse is here. The beginning, the beginning will be Stadia. The beginning will be PUBG Mobile on cloud, right? And then eventually we'll get to a point where we'll be successful. But I would just say the metaverse has right. already had stronger signals. All right, moving we on. Craig, uh, we got to get Craig Sherman on this on a podcast and talk about what the actual metaverse is and cut through the bullshit, right? Can we just we'll... do like a measurement of like all the buzzwords and which ones were actually <laughs> useful? Let's just do like a survey. <laughs> Let's add that to that survey. Yeah. All right. Well, um, all right, guys. I think have that's a good it. week. <laughs> Stay out of trouble. I, I don't know about this podcast, guys. <laughs> I'm going to call this podcast a watch. <laughs> Between app loving and the metaverse, we, 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 we got off tangent. Anyway, all right. Dude, Mish- 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 Mish